And that's such a timely thing for us to talk about today, too. The, uh, if you were with us last week, you remember that I had started talking about one of the really important aspects of the Christian life, this idea of fellowship. Uh, and last week we took one part of that, the concept that uh, fellowship, which means to share in community or, or to share in something that we have in common. And, and we focused last week upon how the church, like our local church here, but also the universal church, is, is a fellowship of believers, meaning sort of an assembled people who have all heard the good news and accepted the good news of Jesus Christ. The, the good news meaning that, that God has provided a way that we can have freedom from sin. We, we can be free from the bondage of sin that, and that we can enter into a relationship with him through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that while differences exist amongst us, you, have, you just have to look around the room and you will see differences. You will just talk to somebody and you will encounter differences in all of us who make up this fellowship. That we all share one, at minimum, one core foundational belief. And that is that we have one faith in one Lord and one God and Father of all. And we have one hope. And on that basis, we are unified as one body that we refer to as the Church of Jesus Christ. So we talked a bit about that last week. If you missed that or need a refresher on it, uh, all the sermons are available off the website, and you can get them off iTunes now as well. And you'll recall that one of the basis of Scripture we used for that was when Jesus was talking to his disciples one day, and he was asking them who people say that he is. And, and Peter eventually responded and, and declared, You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus then said to him, Peter, upon this rock, upon this profession, upon this foundational truth, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You see, Jesus declared himself in that moment to be the cornerstone of the church that he would build, that he would assemble, that, that he, as the son, living son of, uh, son of the living God, would be the foundational rock upon which the church, and, and upon which our very lives can be built. But if we were to keep reading and take that a step further, where Jesus talked about building his church, and the very next verse, he says this as well. He then says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Think about that phrase for a second. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's such a powerful passage. That in this one profession that Peter makes, as he, as he proclaims Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, that is the foundation of the church I'm going to build. But you know what, guys? It's also the key that unlocks the door that opens the kingdom of heaven to all people. Now, most of us have keys in our pockets. We probably have keys in our purses. My keys are always in the dean's purse. She gets a little annoyed by that because I just drop them in there for her. That's like carrying keys in my pocket. Maybe some guys can relate to that. But if you're to find those keys or in your pocket or in your wife's purse and, and look at each one, each of them is symbolic of something. Each of them also has a practical application. See, each key you look at is evidence of access and privilege. For example, if you take out your house key, that house key practically opens the door of your house. But taking that a step further, it also means that it grants you privilege. It grants you access to the stuff in your house. It grants you free access to the people. Even the safety that we have within our house, it grants us access to enter in and be a part of that. Without the key, we'd be locked out. Such is the time I recall when I was 16. And I had spent the night at a friend's house and woke up the next morning and decided to go home. And I got there and no keys in my pocket. And I didn't have a wife yet, so they weren't in her purse. And so what am I going to do? Well, I remembered that sometimes we don't lock the kitchen window. So 
I went to the side, and I managed to slide the kitchen window open and take the screen out, and I stood on the tap for outside, didn't break it, and, and I kind of climbed in the window. Well, a few minutes later, as I just get settled watching TV, I look out the door, uh, out the window, and a police car is pulled up. And so I'm curious, and so I go to the door, I open the door, and I met with a police dog who is very angry at me, <laughs> and, and a policeman behind him, and it was suddenly shocking to me, and then I can see across the street Mr. Berenger, who, who was keeping an eye on things, and had no idea who was shimmying in the kitchen window, and figured that he better call the police. If I just had my key, it would have been evidence that it was me, and there's no suspicion, because keys give you access, and keys are signs of privileged access. Same thing with your car keys. Look at your car key. That means that there's a high likelihood that is your car, and you have the privilege to drive that car. Your work key gives you access to the building, and it identifies you as a member of the company. Some people receive keys to the city. I'm not sure what all that's exactly about, but this key to the city, because it doesn't open anything in the whole city, but I, I guess there's a history of that where when people used to have gates on cities that would lock at the end of the day. A key to the city was a symbolic way of saying is as you enter and leave this city, you do so as a trusted friend. Now here we talk about this profession of Peter as Jesus as the Messiah, and it's more than a symbolic statement. It's not just a symbolic statement of you are a good friend of the city. It has practical application as well. Because it is upon this profession of faith as Jesus as the Messiah, as the son of the living God, that that has the power to not only transform a person, which can free them from that bondage of sin, it also has the power to change their identity, to become a child of God. It has the power to make them a citizen of heaven. It has the power to change their eternal destiny as to one who will reside with God forever. And last week we talked about how upon this profession of faith, Jesus would build his church. Today we're going to look at this next part on how he will build his kingdom through this profession as well. Because Jesus has handed his church, the assembled body of believers, keys to the kingdom. Not so that we would just have access, but so that we could take our key and go out into the world and find ways to share those keys with other people so that they too may enter into a relationship with God and enter into his kingdom through the front door. Now, as many of you are aware, we're currently trying to sell our house, and uh, we ask for your continued prayers in that. But one of the parts of selling your house is they put a key box on your front door. So if you've sold a house, you're aware of what those things are. And what the idea of that is, is with our permission, an agent can come by and it grants them access to our home. And so that their prospective buyer can come by and think, well, maybe this should become our home. And then they would buy our house from us and we can move out here to the West End finally. So as we think of this great commission, this, this calling to go out and share our keys, in a way you could think of yourself as an agent who is offering to open that door for somebody so that they may be able to walk into God's kingdom and claim that for themselves if they choose to do so. And, and our call to this responsibility is found in one of the very last things that Jesus says to his followers. And what we refer to as, as the Great Commission, where Jesus said, Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as, as we saw occur just here today, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. 
Now, Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom of God here on earth and to bring people into a saving relationship with God. And part of doing that is, is what we call making disciples, is that he was making disciples. He was making followers or students who would then walk in his footsteps and follow in his ways. And in the Great Commission, we see that all disciples, all all followers of Jesus, that includes many of us who are here, myself and many who are here, who have accepted this calling, we receive a central command to go and make disciples, to go and duplicate that process. But in this Great Commission, sometimes it's missed, but there's actually three specific ways that Jesus says that this is how we can accomplish the goal. And we can do it by going, by baptizing, and by teaching are the three things that explain how we are to go and make disciples. The first step is simply to go. That really, to a great extent, means to to get outside of the church, to to get out into the community, to get out into the world. Another way to look at this word go, it can be translated as you are going about your lives, as you are in your homes, in your neighborhoods, as you go to work, as you're on your sports teams, as you're in restaurants. If God calls you to another place on earth, as you go about your lives to wherever God calls you, make disciples as you are going about your lives. And he says the step two is to baptize them, which seems rather sudden to go from going to baptizing because if, if you just suddenly started baptizing people as you walk down the street, they may arrest you for that. If, if you decide to baptize Jan in accounting, they may fire you. If you baptize the guy in math class, you may find yourself in the principal's office. So what does this word baptize mean? Well, we have to understand what's in the inherent intention here. When he says go make disciples by baptizing, it's shorthand for basically following the New Testament pattern that we see time and time again in scriptures. And the pattern is this, that we need to go, we need to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ, they accept that for themselves, and then we baptize them. So saying here to baptize is is kind of shorthand for saying, go tell people, and when they accept, confirm that through public declaration of baptism. And then the third step here is to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, which is that ongoing pursuit that this whole sermon series has been about, this this idea that we have a lifelong pursuit towards Christ and then beyond, where we grow in our knowledge, we grow in our commitment, and we grow in our actions in line with Jesus' will and character. Essentially, as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus to fulfill the commission that he has left for us to do. Now, most of us, I think it's safe to say, are familiar with this command. It's probably not the first time that you've seen the Great Commission. But I also know that a lot of us struggle with knowing how to follow through and practically doing so. And I don't think the reason is desire. I honestly believe we have a desire to do this. But if we're honest with ourselves, quite often, it's fear. Fear is what gets in our way of doing this. What if they ask me a question about my key that I just don't know the answer to or I don't understand? Or what if I offer somebody my key to the kingdom and they say, well, I've never seen you use that key before. How do I know it actually works? These are common barriers that really we can put into two categories. We can put into categories of sharing your key with words and sharing your key with actions. So let's take a brief look at both of those and see if we can overcome this barrier of fear and understand the steps to sharing our keys with words and sharing our keys with actions. Now, one of the most prominent people we're going to find in the New Testament is is Paul. We read a lot about Paul, and and we know Paul was great at sharing his key to the kingdom with words, right? After all, if you look through the New Testament, a large part of it was written by him. 
written by him as letters that he wrote to churches that he started. They include accounts of numerous rulers and and philosophers and massive crowds that he spoke to. So it seems that he must have had incredible knowledge. He, He must have been very well spoken, possibly even extremely charismatic in order to be so effective in what he was accomplishing, right? Well, we might assume that, but that may actually not be the case. You know, for example, knowledgeable? Yeah, yes, he was extremely knowledgeable in Judaism. Extremely knowledgeable in Judaism. But keep in mind, Christianity is still unfolding. There was no seminary. There was no systematic theology book that he could read. So knowledgeable in, in the things of Christ, he was growing in. Was he charismatic? Perhaps. But when you look at his readings, he's awfully humble about it. He often speaks down of, of his qualities and his character and his ability. So perhaps he wasn't as charismatic as we might think. Well-spoken? Perhaps he was just well-spoken. Well, in fact, most scholars believe that, that he wasn't, that, that perhaps he had a rather serious speech impediment, whether it be a, a stutter, uh, could have been anxiety. Some have even speculated he had stage fright for all things. But there was something that probably made him not as well-spoken as we might assume him to be. Not exactly the picture of confidence and articulation that we would want to see in orator who wrote a large portion of the New Testament. And he even confirms this a little bit in the first uh, book of Corinthians, the first letter to the church in Corinth, where he draws their attention to the fact that God's power is seen best in the things of this world that the world considers to be weak, considers to lack wisdom. That is when God's power shows up the best. And he places himself as an example of this. When he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, He says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or with human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I resolved to know nothing when I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest in human wisdom, but in God's power. You see, when Paul arrived in Corinth and, and he started sharing his key to the kingdom, that the good news of Jesus Christ, he didn't try and do it with, by impressing people. He didn't try and do it with eloquent words or, or well-thought-out wisdoms or, or, or slick sales lines and pitches. Now, at times, we do find where he was able to enter into these more advanced philosophical debates, such as in Acts 17, where he was debating the, the philosophers in, in Athens. But more often than not, in his life, and I think if we look at our own lives and the people we encounter, more often than not, it's not these high-level, advanced philosophical discussions that people are looking for. I think often more than not, what people are looking for is they simply want to know your story. They simply want to know what is your experience with Jesus, which is what the people in the baptism tank has just shared with us, and we so enjoy hearing those stories. You know, your testimony can be as simple as thinking through a few questions and then putting that into a bit of a short story. And that's what we ask the baptismal candidates to do, is we give them a couple questions to think about as a guideline as they, as they shape their testimony. Things such as, as you reflect upon your life and your journey, who and what did God use to reveal himself to you? Who and what situation was there that, that brought you to a point where you said, yes, I believe and accept this? Another question to consider is, what difference have you seen in your life? Or what difference have other people seen in your life since you've made that profession of faith? By, by looking at some of these questions and putting those into a bit of a short story, you suddenly have a testimony that you can share with people. 
Now, that's your basic testimony, and it opens the door. It opens the door for further conversations, but we can start sharing then about why and how Jesus paid the price for our sins upon the cross. But sometimes that's where we get stuck, right? It's not so much our own story. It's the questions that may come afterwards. Well, I have good news for you because there's an app for that. You can actually turn your phone into an evangelistic tool. I didn't know if you're aware of that. But there is an app for that. There's actually a couple apps you can look at. Or you can just Google it, do some research, or maybe even do the old-fashioned way and just stop by my office or Pastor Luke's office, and, and we can help you with that as well. But if you want to take some time this afternoon and look at it, there's a few apps I can recommend for you to look at. One of them is called Share Your Faith. It's a very powerful app that, that takes you through a step-by-step basis on how to do that with somebody. Uh, Jesus Evangelism Tool is, has all sorts of information and, and questions. If somebody asks you a question, it can draw you to answers and to Scripture that help you answer that. Or if you're talking to somebody who doesn't give any, any merit to Scripture yet, they just don't think the Bible is true or real, Perhaps you could start with them with a, a, a little booklet or a little uh, app called Soul Cravings, which, which just looks at some common desires and almost factory defaults we all have within our human character. These things for, for, for love, for example, and we can unpack a conversation on love that eventually leads us towards God's love. These are just some ways that you can start to walk with somebody, but the most powerful tool you can use after you step forward and take that opportunity and share your key with words, and if somebody starts asking you a question, it is perfectly okay, and sometimes it is the best thing you can do to say, you know what, that is a great question, and I don't know. But how about you and I go find out together? And then you start a journey with that person as you grow together and learn together and unpack the things of God together. Sometimes the most powerful thing that you can do is by admitting that I don't have all the answers either. Let's journey together through this. You see, the critical point here is that the power doesn't come from our perfect words. It doesn't come from our perfect presentation. It comes from us being faithful to simply share the key to the kingdom that we've experienced and to point people towards the cross of Jesus Christ and then trust that the Holy Spirit will be the one who takes those words, who takes those testimonies and takes the things that this world may consider as foolish and use those to transform a person's life as they come to know Jesus Christ for themselves. Consider, for example, Nikki, who was a young Christian lady in her freshman year of university. And she was praying one night that that her roommate, Whitney, would would take a step closer to the Lord. Well, wouldn't you know it, a couple hours later, she received a text message from Whitney who said, we need to talk. So they went for a drive, and they found themselves... A short time later at a coffee shop, and as they sat there enjoying their coffee, Whitney started to share her story and her challenges. She was feeling a sense of a lack of purpose. She was missing something in her life. There was this emptiness that she just couldn't quite put her finger on. Well, Nikki seized the opportunity there with her friend and, and started to share her own story, her own journey towards God and the difference that God had made in her life since she had accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she explained the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loved her and that he had died for her, that she could have freedom and she could have purpose in him. Well, there was silence for a while, and they they drove back to their residence, fairly quiet. But then a little while later on, another text message came through from Whitney, and it simply said, meet me downstairs. And as, as Nikki went downstairs and met Whitney there, She found that Whitney was ready to receive the Lord, and they prayed there that night, in the middle of the night, in the darkness. And and of Nikki's own confession, she said, I didn't have all the answers, and I certainly did not do the best job of sharing the gospel. However, I did do this. I prayed. I was available to a friend. I took the risk. I shared myself, 
and I shared the good news. Or consider Roger, who grew up in a family who went to church, but they never really, sorry, who never went to church and never talked about God, but they they had friends who were Christians. And and even though they had Christian friends, these Christian friends never really really talked about their faith either. So many years later, as, as Roger grew into adulthood, he had a friend named Doug, who was also a Christian, because he was kind of comfortable around these people. And one day, Doug asked him to come to a small group. Now, Roger knew this was a church thing, and, and he was curious, but he wasn't totally sure if he should go. He thought, well, what if, they, what if they asked me to pray, or what if they asked me to find something in the Bible? I, I don't want to look stupid in front of people. So he didn't know what he was going to do. But he finally decided that he would go, and, and he went, and, and he was really shocked. He found that the people were actually really friendly. And they were very authentic, and, and they just accepted Roger as one of them. Now, up until that point, he had always thought that Christian, Christianity basically meant, well, you follow some rules, and you do enough good things one day, and then maybe the scales will tip in your favor, and, and you'll get into heaven. But he started to realize maybe there's more to it than just that. And, and as Roger and Doug spent this time talking about the group, the time eventually came up where Doug shared his story with Roger and, and shared with him the fact that Jesus loved him that Jesus died for him. And that day, Roger accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And immediately after he finished praying, he looked at his friend Doug, and he said, people don't know this. We need to go tell them, because people don't know this. You know, never sell short the power of your presence, or the power that exists in seizing the opportunities to share your faith with somebody. You know, even if the words are not polished and eloquent, the Holy Spirit can still take that and use them to hand somebody a key to the kingdom, that they too can come to know the Lord and come into the kingdom of heaven. Now notice in both of these stories, there's one key thing that happened in there, is that there was this relationship, there was this familiarity of some people who didn't know the Lord. There were some relationships that, that some believers had put themselves into where they could live among these people and experience life with them. Because for a lot of people, Words won't be enough. There, there's a strong pragmatism in our world today that, that says, I want to actually see you walk the walk. And I want to see the outcomes of that walk before I give a lot of credence to the words you're sharing with me. They want answers to the question, does the Christian life actually work? And then the words have more power to them. Which is why it's not always enough. It's often not enough to just share our key with words. But we also need to do it with actions as well. And Jesus talked about this in particular during the Sermon on the Mount when he used two metaphors to describe what the impact of his followers should be like upon their worlds. And he first said to them, he said, you are the salt of the earth, which is a metaphor with very, very deep meaning. You see, in the ancient Near East, salt had many varied uses. And, and I, think, I think Jesus chose a salt metaphor because of how broad this metaphor is. You know, for example, salt was used as a currency. It actually had monetary value. That's, that's where we get the saying, you're worth your weight in salt, is because there was monetary value to salt. And it has this idea that, metaphorically, we as followers of Jesus Christ have value, not only in the kingdom of God, but we have value here on earth, too. Salt, as we're familiar, also has a seasoning ability. And if you have high blood pressure, maybe you enjoy salt and uh, enjoy putting that on food. It's a, common, it's a common desirable flavoring, seasoning that people use. And followers of Jesus Christ are, are to be good, desirable, adding flavor, if you will, to the world and to the relationships in which they find themselves in. 
But then salt also has a preserving characteristic. See, they didn't have any refrigerators back in, in, in this time. And so what people would do is they would take salt and they would rub it on fish and they would rub it on meat and, and it would preserve the meat and it would slow the decay. Well, metaphorically, in the same way, followers of Jesus Christ can have an impact as their message and the lives that they live have a, a preserving impact upon people, preserving them from that spiritual death and that spiritual decay. But in the same vein of thinking, Jesus then takes us a step further and he says this. He goes, not only are you the salt of the earth, but you are also the light of the world. He explains this by saying a town on, built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put that lamp on a stand, and that light then gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, and they may glorify your Father in heaven. Light is a very important theme in Scripture. Jesus said that he is the light of the world. This emphasis of removing darkness, of revealing the dark places. And in the same way that Jesus' life and message of salvation brings light to those who are in darkness, so too his followers are a living demonstration of what it looks like to live in the light. The example of a city on a hill, when when it's lit up at night, you could say that city's lit, right? I'm probably too old to say that, maybe. It's lit up on a hill. The idea being, the youth got that. (laughs) the city on a hill when it's lit up at night the light goes throughout the whole region you can see it for 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 miles it can be seen a lamp that's on the floor kind of gives light to an area but you stick it on a stand and suddenly the light covers the entire room which is in and everybody who's in that room can share in the light you know as followers of jesus christ we've been called to be the light of the world to not keep our faith to keep our lives hidden but to let our good deeds be seen for the world so that people may see them and not look to us, but look to God's love. And so they could seek out more of that for themselves. So as you go about your lives, there's opportunities to do this that are endless if we will have eyes to see them and if we will choose to seize those opportunities that come up. If you see a person on the side of the road with a flat tire, maybe pull a U-turn. Go back and see if they need any help. Offer to call AAA for them. Simply ask them, are you okay? Keep them company until somebody shows up. If you see some person who's going without food and looking for food outside of a store, perhaps there's wisdom in not giving them money, but perhaps you could take them in and buy them a meal, share a conversation with them as they enjoy that meal, share your life, possibly even share your faith with them. Or maybe you're in a small group, or your family could see some opportunities like one small group did who used to meet every single Saturday of the month. And they decided one day to give up the last Saturday of each month to go do something that came to be known as laundry love. Where they simply wanted to practically love their community and to give something back to their community. And so they came up with the idea to go to a laundromat, and the laundromat gave them permission on the last Saturday of each month to go down there and pay for people's laundry. They would bring a jar full of quarters with them, and they'd spend 50 to $75 a night just paying for people's laundry. No questions asked, no requirements, just show up and we'll pay for your laundry. And the best part of this is while people's laundry is being done, they like to hang out and talk to you, especially if you paid for the laundry. They enjoy to talk to you. It wasn't a requirement, but it often, that's what would happen. Now, there's this one lady who came on one of the very first nights who was very suspicious at first of why they wanted to pay for her laundry. But once they realized that that they were serious, she made multiple trips back and forth from, from her home to laundromat, from home to laundromat, until in the end, she brought 15 loads of laundry for this group to do. 
But as they got to know her that night, over the course of 15 loads, she said to them, you don't know what a blessing this is to me. I had $20 in my wallet, and I put off laundry for a whole month because I had to choose to either do laundry or to feed my kids. And the group leaves each week completely overjoyed, regardless of how many people show up or don't show up. Because they're learning to practice what, they're, they're putting to practice what they're learning in their group, and they're making a difference in their piece of the world. Or another small group who realized they had gotten really good at serving each other, but, but not so good at sharing with people outside of their circles. And so they started looking for ways that they could minister, or ways that they could get involved with a program, that somehow they could support it. And one of them came up with the idea of this, of international justice mission. Who, who seeks to provide justice for people around the world who are victims of human abuse and human trafficking. A wonderful organization. And so they came up with the idea to hold a garage sale. We'll just, well, there's, there's a dozen of us. We'll just kind of clean out our basements and get some stuff together and hold a garage sale. And all the money we can, just, we can just give to International Justice Mission. Well, as that started to happen, they started to do some social media and put some flyers up and word of mouth started to go around. It turned out it wasn't just the small group who wanted to be involved. All of a sudden, the community wanted to bring goods. The community wanted to come and volunteer and share what was going on. And people who came to buy things, when they learned where the money was going to, if it said $2, they paid 20 If it said 5 they'd pay 15 Because it wasn't about haggling to get the guard sale stuff down. It was about supporting a cause greater than themselves. And this initiative that started with a few people in a small group who went outside of their group, all of a sudden brought together a neighborhood. And they sold all these items. So I want to ask you a question today. I want to ask you to carefully consider this question. What is there in your life that you are willing to trade so that you could be salt and light to somebody, to some people, somewhere? Are you willing to trade an evening of watching sports to go surf somewhere? Are you willing to trade a tank of gas to go drive some people to get groceries or to doctor's appointments? Are you willing to give up a few coffees a week to support a cause? Perhaps for you, it even starts with giving up a half hour of TV watching just to sit, read the Bible, and pray, asking God, where would you point me towards so that I can then go be salt and light? What could you trade and use in your calling to be salt and light and hand somebody keys to the kingdom? You know, in the coming weeks and in the coming months, there are going to be specific moments when I will stand up here and I'm going to ask you to make a trade. I'm going to ask you to trade something such as what I just mentioned so that we can invite people to be part of us here at this church, but also so that we can go out beyond the walls of this church to continue becoming stakeholders in this community. Many of us don't live right here in the immediate neighborhood of of Lewis Estates. We're trying to get here. We don't live here yet either, but we're trying to get in this area. But over two decades ago, God led many men and women to plant a church here. And some of you are still in this congregation today who planted this church in this community. And I invite all of you, though, to join me in taking steps that we may grow in our familiarity, that we may grow in our love, and that we may grow in our passion for this community that is around us. It begins this summer in just a couple of days with our summer kickoff. In two weeks, we have started promotions throughout the neighborhood. We're going to have signs going up. We've given you invitations that you could consider inviting somebody to come and join you on that day for a special service that will be fun and interactive, followed by a barbecue, and, uh, and lots of fun for the whole family. After that, we have our VBS program starting, where there are many children from outside the church who will be coming here to join with, with us and our volunteers. 
so they can hear that God made them special. And we need you to consider, can you trade something to come volunteer to help us with that? And then a little bit after that, I'm going to start talking about an opportunity for us to come together as a church and to go out into our community as well on something referred to as prayer walks. Maybe you've done some of those before. Maybe it's a new idea to you. Where in teams and in families, we're going to walk the streets of this neighborhood. We're going to become familiar with the houses. We're going to become familiar with the common places where people congregate and gather and play. We're going to find the areas where maybe opportunities exist for us to become stakeholders and come alongside people, to come alongside the community leagues we've started to contact, to see what would it look like for us to join God in what he has been planning for us to do for a long time. You see, folks, we're starting to take these steps towards sharing the keys of the kingdom that we have because that's the calling that we've received. And I believe that God has been preparing us for such a time as this, that if we are willing to start moving, if we are willing to stand unified, if we're willing to avoid any distractions from that calling, if we are willing to avoid and to resist the temptations of the enemy that he will try and derail us, but if we will stand and resist those, that we will come to be seen as a house on the hill in this region of Edmonton, perhaps even to West Edmonton, perhaps even beyond. God only knows. These are just some first small steps, but every great pursuit begins with one step. And I'm extremely excited about the future for what we have before us. To see what God has in store for us and for the people that he has placed before us that will have opportunity to serve. And so as we then can go forth and share our kingdoms to the heaven and the world through word and through deed. Will you join me in that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have entrusted this to us that you've entrusted your word to us, that, that the example of Jesus Christ who lived faithfully, walking in step with you, that we can then walk in his footsteps and proclaim the good news that Jesus loves us, that he died for us, that he has a new hope and a new future for us. Lord, that work that begins in us, may we find ways even this very day, this very week ahead of us to go out and to share that with May we seize the opportunities. May we risk and push past the fear that your kingdom would grow and that people would receive that key to open the door, to walk through the door of your kingdom and have their lives changed eternally. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.